plan was a way that God grabbed people and said, you, you've lived for over 400 years in Egypt with all of its false gods and all of its pagan idolatry. And you, you, you've, even though you've prayed in that 400 years, you've not really understood the, the relationship that you could have with me. And I've got to, to, to help you out. And so if you begin to read in the book of, of Exodus around the, the chapters, you know, 20s and the 30s, you'll begin to find as God begin to lay out the plan for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was unique because it was designed to move. The tabernacle was a place where, where if, if you will, they would meet God's presence. But it was not a fixed place, fixed point. He said, I want you to be able to take the presence of God wherever you go. Later on, they would solidify that and David had the idea and the desire to build a temple and, and his son Solomon was able to do it and then the temple became a permanent place and, and uh, you know, but in reality it was never designed to be that. The tabernacle was designed to be a moving. It was wherever God's spirit would lead, you would go. We told you uh, uh, last week, last Sunday night, we, we started this, I, I want to preach, I want to teach, actually I don't even want to preach, I want to teach how you can get into the presence of God and we can use the method of the tabernacle to, to show you how we come into the presence of God. I believe that it is the will of the Lord that every time you close your eyes and pray, you should be in the presence of God. I don't know that that always happens though. There's a lot of times we go through the motions, but we are not in His presence and partly that is because we have uh, uh, approached him wrongly. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. And let me just kind of launch what I want to tell you about. But I, I want to show you the correlation between the tabernacle and today. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent or tabernacle was prepared. The first section which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on both sides in gold. In which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. The reason is the, the tabernacle, the temple had been destroyed. And so by the time Paul or, and, and Peter and all of them came around, the temple and the tabernacle was just a kind of a, a memory. They had no idea what it looked like. But it says that these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And by this Holy Spirit and by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing symbolic for the present age according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but they deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation 
He was saying that this old law did not do what mankind truly needed it to do. The old law with all of its rules and regulations and covenants, it was just a shadow, it was just a type, it was just a taste of what Jesus Christ did in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9 that Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come and through a greater and more perfect tent and tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places not by the means of blood of goats and calves but by the mean of Jesus' own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That Jesus Christ began to do all that the tabernacle uh, said to do. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find that Jesus was better than the priest. Jesus was, uh, he's better than Moses. He is better than the tabernacle plan. That old has passed. The tabernacle was a type and a shadow of the things to come. And I believe that while we are blessed today to be in His presence and to walk into the presence of God, we can come boldly before the throne. You know that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent. The veil was torn in the, in the, in the, in the temple and we have that access to God. But we must be careful that we don't get a vision of God that's kind of just an old good buddy, friend, pal. I still think there's a proper way to come into His presence. And I want, uh, last week we talked about the, 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 the brazen altar, that place where everyone had to start. You had to start in the place where something died. And, and, and I'm not going to re-preach it. Go back and listen to it. But, but that's where we, we repent. That's where we lay ourselves on the altar and we say, Lord, I'm not worthy. My flesh is broken. My flesh is sinful. I've failed. I've come short of the glory of God. And I've got to die to that old flesh. I've got to die to that old man. And the altar is so important. You can't get into the holiest of places of God unless there's first a death that takes place. But I, I want to, as I left the message last week, I got to thinking, I want to put things into perspective. Uh do you have that picture? Who's back there? I think Brother Travis. You got that picture of the tabernacle or, or kind of that diagram of the tabernacle you can throw up there. That The, the white thing around it, there was a, a linen, uh, I think it was about 15 feet tall if I recall. There was a linen uh, fence that went around. The fence was 100 feet long on the long sides and 50 feet wide on the, the, the narrow side. So let me help you out. From the back of the church, to about where that cross is, is right at 100 feet. So roughly, the building that we're in right now is about as long as the tabernacle. This, if I remember correctly, we're about 32 or 34 feet wide here, and so you'd have to go out another uh, 18 feet or, or, or 16 feet, if you will. So you can imagine that's the size of that curtain that, that, that encircled it. It was a fence. Not just anybody could see it. There was a, a gate, if you will. It was, it was fabric that you could walk through. But just kind of in your mind, imagine something about as long as this building and about 14 feet wider. That's how big that, that encampment was. And then, and so 
in that front, the outer courtyard, it had no tent over it. It was, it was lit by natural light. It, it, if it rained, it got rained on. If it, if it, you know, whatever happened, it was just kind of out there. And then you had this, this tent. The tent, the tabernacle that we call it, it was 45 feet long. It was 15 feet wide. And then, uh, the, it, when, you know, it's broken up into two places. You had the holy place, which is the first section you walked in. And then you had the veil. And behind that was the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. The holiest of holies was 15 foot wide, 15 foot square. And uh, so you can imagine, it kind of puts it into perspective how everything fit in there. The, the outer court where the... The, the altar is and where the laver that we're going to talk about was that was open a bit to the public uh, men and, and, and not just anybody could go in there the Gentiles did not have access to that like the Jews did and there's some speculation that the ladies did not have entrance into that it was a very male centric society later on when Peter or Peter later on when David and Solomon uh, planned and built the temple it had a court for the ladies, it had a court for the men, it had a court for the priests, and so it began to get even more segmented. But if you will, that first place, just for, for our sermon today, that first place, anybody could go. Alright? And this is true, I believe, with, with the way that we approach God today. Uh, anybody can, can come to an altar, anybody can come to the laver. But, but later on, you're going to see it takes a little bit more to slip into that place than only the priests were allowed to go and then even more so where the high priest went once a year behind the veil there to the holiest of holies this uh, we spent some time talking about the, the, the brazen altar but I want to read to you something and I'm not necessarily trying to gross you out but I, I begin to look at it and things begin to make sense the book of Leviticus opens this way it's the law of the burnt offerings it says, and if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he'll offer a male without blemish. He'll bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so that's that, that's that outside. You know, he comes through the gate there, and he's inside that courtyard, and he'll offer it there, and, 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 and if he's accepted, and the man will lay his head his hand on the head of the burnt offering. Let's just say it's a bull. He lays his hand there. It will be accepted for him to make atonement. Uh, for him, and he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire, and shall arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but its entrails and its legs he'll wash with water, and the priest will burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, that is a, a, with a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. Okay, so I, I want you to, to, again, get this understanding, this picture, because there was a lot of different other offerings you could bring, but just for this, they would, they would bring a bull in. Bulls are not tiny animals. I've been around bulls that weighed upwards of 2,000 pounds. They're big animals. And, and whether it was the man that brought it, other places the priest did it, but they would kill that bull. And, and it was not a quiet, beautiful thing. 
blood went everywhere there was noises that you could only imagine in your wildest nightmares that would issue forth from those animals that were slaughtered for the souls and the, and the, and the saving of the people which is why the cross was not a, a, a pretty little place to die that's why I have a problem and, and, and if you're doing this I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to make fun of anybody here okay so I don't want you to take this personally if, if you have one or if you've done it but this is why I don't like wearing the cross around my neck or having a, a cross with Jesus hanging on it in my church because it's, it's kind of like hanging an electric chair around your neck it was a place of capital punishment it was a place that, that did not bring glory to anyone. The Bible says that the cross, it was a, it was a curse. Anyone that died on the cross, they, weren't, they, they were a, a criminal and the lowly of criminals. And so in this, this, this first place, blood was spilled and lives of, of animals were given up. And they would take the blood and they would throw it against the altar as the Lord had commanded. And there's a lot of symbolicness to that. It's not pretty when you and I come into the presence of God and we lay ourselves on that altar and we say, God, we're broken. There's not a lot of beauty in that. I like the dancing. I like the worship. I like the, 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 the incense. I like all that. I like the word of God, but we don't like the, the gruesomeness of laying this old man down. But watch this. Now the priests... Have, have, have stopped by the brazen altar. They're, you know, uh, they're wanting to get to the, to the holiest of holies. That's their desire. I want to get in the presence of God. But they're covered. And so their next step was a brazen laver. It was at that place that they would wash, the Bible says they would wash their hands and they would wash their feet. Later on, uh, in, in, as kind of the temples began to come about and they began to, to do more, they would, the, the lavers were big enough that they could completely wash from head to toe in and they could do all of that. And so um, you, you, you had to go to the place where you were washed. It is a, it, it, it's a representation of the waters of baptism because again, everything that's inside this tabernacle, you can see how Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus was the supreme sacrifice that died. Jesus, because he was buried, the Bible says we are buried with him in the waters of baptism. Jesus, if you keep going in, Jesus is the bread of life. That's the table of showbread. Jesus is the light. That's the golden candlestick. Jesus is that incense, that worship. You keep going, Jesus' presence. But it's more than just saying, oh, Jesus stepped to these places. You and I must take a, a walk and stop by each of these as well. And that labor, um, you know, all of us, we must be baptized. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It, it, every one of us has to be baptized in the precious name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. And we've seen that at our church. But... The, the, that, that labor does not only represent that time that you got baptized maybe you were you know, a, a teenager maybe you were a young adult maybe you were an adult and, and you got baptized it's more than just that I think we have to be very careful now here, here's the thing you don't have to be re-baptized 
Bible teaches us if you sin, you don't have to come to me and say, I need to get back in the, in the water because if that's the way it was, I might as well just put waders on and stay in that tank because I would never leave. I would just have to baptize all that. And some of you would probably be here like twice or three or four or five times a day. You with me? So we don't have to be rebaptized, but we must revisit that laver because the laver represents sanctification. Sanctification is the place where God and His presence and we give God permission to help mold us and to make us more like Him. The laver is the place where you wash away the memories of that old man. The laver is the place where you let those memories die of the one you used to be. You lay that on the altar. You said this old flesh, this old carnal nature, this old man that I am, I don't want to carry it anymore. I don't want to carry the sin. I don't want to carry the shame. I don't want to carry the guilt. And so you lay it on the altar, but then you go to the laver and you wash the residue from what had happened at the altar. It's the place where you begin to take on the nature of God. It's the place where you've already put the old man aside, but it's the labor that says, I want to take up the new man, and I want to think differently, and I want to act differently, and I want to live differently, because my desire is that I'm about to step into the holiest of holies, and I'm about to step into the place where I'm in his presence, and so I allow myself to stop at the labor. The labor, if you will, would you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 30? Let's see what God said because we know that the ark, or or we know that the, the tabernacle, the Lord was very, very specific about how it's built. Man was not allowed to use his own opinions. God says this this tabernacle, this place of meeting, you better build it exactly as I say it. And so Exodus chapter 30 and verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. And you'll put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. And you'll put water in it in which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. And it will be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. Before the priest could enter into the tent, before the priest could enter into the tabernacle, before the priest could stand at the table of showbread or the golden candlestick or the altar of incense, before the priest could walk into the holy place and see God's presence, they had to wash. I'm going to tell you today that if you haven't gone and stopped by that that bronze brazen altar if you've not allowed that sacrifice of your flesh to be given if you haven't given control of your flesh over to the Lord then I promise you God cannot use you God cannot meet with you if you haven't gone to the laver of water and washed yourself so that you're clean in the eyes of God you're going to find it hard to get into his presence the man, the man of God washed his hands and he washed his feet. The feet, perhaps it represents, if you will, the walk that we have. 
You've heard of people say, do you talk the talk or do you walk the walk? I think it's important that wherever we allow ourselves to go, our conduct, our integrity, who we are and how we live our lives, you've got to make that time to go to the altar, to, to the, the laver and say, Lord, cleanse me so that where I go, you can be uh, pleased with how I am. It's got to be a priority. It's not enough just to come to church and feel goosebumps. It's not enough just to come to church and lift your hands a little bit. I desire to be in the presence of God, not just when a great song is being sung. I desire to be in the presence of God, not just when a sermon is going forth and the emotions and the conviction of that sermon is still fresh. I want to feel the presence of God. I want to be in the presence of God on a Monday morning. And the only way I can do it is if I have washed my feet and my hands, if you will, in that labor. I know some say, well, that's only for the priest. You know, how, how does that apply to us? Well, it's real simple. The Bible teaches and the Bible says that, and in fact, it's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. And as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And you are lively stones. You're built up a spiritual house. You're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Because later on the Bible says that that we now are the temple of God. That the Spirit of God dwells in us. So that makes us priests. It's not wearing that priestly garment. It's not the linen ephod and putting on that chest plate that had the, 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 the you know, the, the stones that represented the 12 tribes. That's not what it is now. But instead, it's someone who's living a holy, righteous, pure life that you've repented of your sins. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus by baptism. You've been filled with His Spirit and you are a priest. And so it is that I have got to stop at the brazen altar and at that brazen laver and it teaches me that if I'm going to get into those holy places with God, I've got to let this flesh die. And I've got to wash that filth. I've got to wash that nastiness out of my life. And I've got to walk with the Lord the way He tells me I walk with the Lord. See, the whole plan of the tabernacle is this. I'm drawing closer to God. I don't want to stay at the at the at the the, the altar. I don't want to stay at the laver. There, there's nothing beautiful about any of that. It's outside. It's lit. When it gets dark, it got dark. There, but I, I want to be able to open that tent, and I want to be able to step into that holy place and see the light of the Lord and see the provision of the Lord and see the worship of the Lord and eventually I want to open up that veil and I want to be where the mercy seat is and I want to be in the presence of God where He hears everything I say but you have to do it right. See the tabernacle plan for you and I today represents the prayer. Prayer draws us closer into the presence of God. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, Paul says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. All the men say amen. And as the husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All the women say amen. The Lord is using a picture of a, of a proper relationship to show how the church and God are connected. And he said this in verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and it should be without blemish. And those priests understood this. Hey, it's dirty. It's a messy business to lay that old man down on the altar and say, I don't want it living anymore. What does the Bible say? Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's dirty work to do that. And so it, it, it necessitates a stop at the labor to wash yourselves so that you can enter into the presence of God without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Think about that. They, they can't enter in with the, I mean, I'm glad you, you stopped at the altar. I'm glad you killed the old man. I'm glad you said that old lying, sinful, cheating, lustful self is dead. But the Lord says, I'm not, I, I still don't want you to come in my presence unless you first wash. See, that washing, it's what removes the stains. It's what removes the flesh. Flesh is a great problem in our lives. I'm convinced that so many of us, we, we, we think the devil, and, and the devil, I mean, he, he's the, you know, the buck stops with him. It's his fault that our flesh is the way it is, but we, you're not really able to blame the devil about too much in your life. I've told you the story of I, I, I was a was a young teenager, and I had done something horrible, and my mom had caught me, and 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 I remember saying she 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 asked the question, "Why'd you do it?" And I literally said, and I wasn't being arrogant, I wasn't being stupid. I said, "The devil made me do it." Well, not really. The devil didn't come there and twist my arm. This old man, this old flesh, it, it loves to interject itself in my life. It's it's my needs, it's my wants, it's my desires, it's my craving, it's me, it's me, it's I, it's I, it's my arrogance, it's my selfishness, it's my lust, it's all of that. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says, If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Mortify means you got to kill it. You cannot suffer this old flesh to move and walk and go any further and I got to get rid of the old and I got to wash it away repentance and baptism they're hand in hand you can't separate one from the other if you've repent that means you've laid on the altar and said Lord I'm sick of this old man I'm sick of living the way I've been living I'm sick of being the man that I am and if you're willing to lay yourself on the altar then you're willing to go down in the waters of baptism you let the flesh go, you wash it away. 
this outer court where the altar and the laver is. There's no supernatural power to it. The only supernatural power that was found on that altar came because the Lord lit the fire of that altar for the first time. That's the only supernatural thing that happened out there. It was then man, it was the priest's responsibility to never let the fire of that altar go out. If they were going to pick up the tabernacle and move to another spot, there was a priest that had to gather some live coals, probably put it into something like a ram's horn, and they had to keep it. And every once in a while, they'd have to open it up and blow in it and get those coals moving. They might have to put a piece of wood in there. And when they got to the place where they were going to set up camp again and they would put everything back, it was that priest's responsibility to put that fire back in and kindle a fire. There's nothing supernatural. There's no power. There's no flash of light. There's no crazy goosebump feeling in repentance. It's your responsibility. There's no crazy goosebump feeling in the washing, but it's our responsibility because we're dealing with us, we're dealing with our flesh. But if you'll learn to do that, you'll find that just on the other side of that labor, you open the door to the spiritual and you open the door to the supernatural. It might be the reason why your prayers aren't being answered. It's because you've not yet learned to move from beyond that outer court. So many of us, and I'll put myself in times past and in my own life, so many times, it's kind of like I said, if you had to be rebaptized every time you sinned, I'd be in that, I'd, have, I'd look like a prune. And while we don't get rebaptized, there's a spiritual way and and, and all too often, uh, uh, every time you come to church, you got to hit that altar again and you got to hit that and you're repenting of things that you know you, you told God the last Sunday you were never going to do and you go home and you're right back in there. And so you never get a chance to walk into the tabernacle. You never get a chance to walk into the supernatural spirit of God because you never learn to get past the altar or the laver. But if you'll ever learn those two things, that holy place... And that holiest of holies is calling you. It's very interesting, and I, I have tried, I've studied. Again, as I've told you last week, there have been, I, there's probably, almost every church in America has probably at some point preached about praying through the tabernacle. It's not something new to me. And I've learned, looked at it, I've researched it. But Brother Cozart, what I find very interesting is that this labor of washing had no measurement. Everything else, God was so incredibly specific. It has to be this big, not, a, not an inch longer. It has to be this tall, this wide. Build it exactly as I told you, but when you read it, it says just build a laver for washing. Later on, as you will see uh, in, in the temples that are built previously, the lavers kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It was a, made of solid bronze. And... Some have said, and, and, and I think the word of the Lord lends itself to it, that bronze in the Bible is usually typically representative of God's judgment. And nobody likes that word. Too many people want God to be some genie that grants all your wishes and never looks at your crossways and never judges you. But as much as God is love, God is also just. God is also judgment. And when I read his word, and when I, when I sit and I, I get the chance to sit as you sit and let someone preach to me, 
that judgment of God begins to sear across my heart, sear across my mind, and he begins to tell me, hey, Brandon, you need to go back to the altar. Something's still moving. Something's still kicking. He said, Brandon, you need to stop by that laver, and you need to wash yourself because there's still a little bit of that old man that rises up. And when you allow God to tell you those things, then it allows you to step into his presence. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 38, and I'm almost done. Exodus chapter 38, we find something that is just absolutely incredible. So if you remember or, or if you know about the, the Bible, there was a lot of things that, that God, uh, he, he said, he said, Yo, here's what I want you to build. I want you to build it this big. Cover it with gold. Cover it with acacia wood. Get all of that. Then you find that Moses came to the to the uh, the people and he said, hey, we're fixing to build this temple and, and, our, and this tabernacle and I need you to get all the pieces and so they begin to bring stuff. Some people could sew and they brought linen and other people could bring the fur and some people could bring the leather and some people began to bring gold and bronze and they, they, they gave it there. But this labor was something completely different. So look at Exodus chapter 38 and look at verse 8. And he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze, watch this, from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. In those days, the only way that we could get a mirror, they didn't have the, the way that we could, they didn't have glass, they, they couldn't do the thin film of silver nitrate that's behind a lot of our mirrors. They couldn't do all that. So what they would do is they would get brass or bronze and they would polish it until you could see your reflection in it. And that is what, if you had a mirror, that's what it was. The mirror reflected you. Some have said the mirror represented the vanities that we have, the pride that we have. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And they gave the thing that reflected them, and they melted it down, and they crafted a bronze basin. And when the priest would lean over to wash his hands and his feet, he would see his reflection. And it was God's way of reminding you and I, how close are you to being like Him? Because the ultimate goal of every one of us ought to be that I might be like Jesus. And when I look at the mirror of my life, some days I'm closer than I've ever been to being like Him. But other days, Brother Sponsor, when I look in the mirror of my life, I'm reminded of my failure. I'm reminded of my sin. I'm reminded of my shortcoming. And so when the priest stood at that laver, he was looking at a reflection of himself. 
And the idea, the understanding was simply this. The understanding was that the word of the Lord reveals unto us. It shows us who we really are. It shows us what we need to change in our life. And so if you ever want to get into the presence of God, you've got to be willing to go to the labor and let God show you you. Got to look in the mirror of that labor. And say, God, let your word cleanse the things out of my life and push aside the things in my life. John chapter 15 and verse 3, you are now clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. This outer court that was represented, you can only pray for yourself in that outer court. But when you get into that inner place, that's when you can begin to intercede. That's when you begin to pray for others. That's when you begin to to minister to others. But it's only if you're first willing to stare at your own reflection. Remember the story, the parable where the Lord said the guy had a speck in his eye, you know, a little piece of sawdust. And the other guy was trying to get that speck out, but he had a whole log sticking out of his eye. Not exactly sure why the Lord used that, because it's, it's really an over-the-top illustration. But that's what it says, a log sticking out of his eye. And that's how we tend to be. I'm real good at pointing out your flaws. I'm real good when the preacher's preaching to look across and say, Oh God, speak to Brother Don. My God, oh man, I hope Don is listening to this right now. I hope that, 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 that he's getting it. I, I mean, come on, this is a sermon just for him. Meanwhile, I got this giant two by four sticking out of my eye. Sometimes we're blind to our own failures. We're blind to our own fallacies. So when I step to that laver in my prayer, I'm not looking at you. I'm not praying for you. The Lord says, for you pray for anybody else. You take a look and you see your reflection and you say, "Uh, Lord, cleanse that thought. Cleanse that, that, that action. Cleanse what I've watched, what I've seen, what I've said, what I've done. Lord, cleanse that from me so that I can enter into that place and I can go forward. Would you stand today? Praying through the tabernacle is not based on a length of time. I'm not going to tell you you got to pray at the altar for you know 15 minutes and you got to pray at the laver for 15 minutes and you got to pray at the table of showbread. That's not what it's about. It's about a progression. And some days, in fact, the, the plan, the idea would be you don't even have to spend a lot of time at the altar or the laver because you have been walking right. You stop by and you you take a glance there at that laver and you say, Lord, I'm so thankful for your salvation. Lord, I'm thankful today that I I see more of you in me than me. I'm thankful that I I see your reflection. I I see your presence, Lord. I I see that you're drawing me closer and allows you to quickly step into that that tabernacle. I, I would much prefer that you're able to spend more time inside the tabernacle than outside, but you got to start outside. No supernatural out here, but it's so important that you stop by the altar, you stop by the laver every time you pray, and then you enter into his presence and watch what God could do 
I think it'd be very good tonight, whether you want to come to the front, whether you want to kneel at your seat or stand or even sit there at your seat, but I think it'd be good for just a moment. Last week we practiced, we, we stopped by the altar and we said, Lord, let my, this old flesh die, but today I wonder if you could stop by the laver. Would you take a look at it? Would you let God reveal to you what who you are and what he sees you ever you ever you ever recorded something and then you heard your voice on it and you asked the question do I really sound like that I do that all the time I go and I'll listen to the sermon I'm like good night I am a high-pitched hick but but that's kind of the same way I might think I look a certain way but y'all the ones that's got to look at me I might think I can fool myself, but God sees me. In fact, the Bible says not only does God see me, but God sees inside of me. He sees my heart. And so I want to encourage you for just a moment to take a stop at that labor and say, Lord, would you reveal through your word, would you reveal me, Lord, so that I can wash, that I can be sanctified by the washing of your blood. And Lord, I'm going to give you praise. Would you just begin to do that? I can't really tell you how. I've done my best to lead you there. But you're the one that's got to let God speak to you right now in the name of Jesus.